to be uh, sort of focusing in tonight on these two encounters with God that Hagar had um, in these situations. And we'll see tonight that from one story, he's the God who sees, and from the other, he's the God who hears. When the angel of the Lord, it, it was God, I think in, in angel form, the way he speaks to her, uh, finds her. Um, he, he speaks to her in, in verse 18. He said, Hagar, servant of Sarah. Uh, and then he asks this lady two questions. And I think it's a lot more than geography that he is talking about at this moment. He, he says to her, um, are we on? Can you just nudge us on one slide? It might go, then. Okay, he says to her two questions. Um, the first one is this, where have you come from? And secondly, where are you going? And somewhere I believe in these questions is all of Hagar's identity. Who, who she actually is, where she's come from, not just in a geographical sense, but where's her life come from that has brought her to this moment? And what does the future hope for her? Where is she going? Where, um, well, what does the, the future hold? Somehow a chain of events has happened that partly may be her fault, but really outside of her um, ability to control, that had led her to the place where she was. And somewhere, as we find um, God addressing her as servant of Sarai, that that's who she was. She'd come from Egypt. She found her place and her role within her master's home uh, under, under Sarai, as she was called then, lady to become Sarah. And there was her role. That's who she was. And somehow events expired that she was now pregnant with her boss's husband, which never sounds good, does it, for, for any woman. But that's where she was at. And then tempers have flared. Things had gone wrong in relationships, and she'd been driven from the home to find herself now pregnant, sitting beside the roadside. She had hurt others. She herself had been hurt. She'd been caught up in a family drama, somebody else's loss of or lack of faith. And in all of this, I think it had robbed her of her, her identity. Before she knew her role, she knew her future, she felt secure, probably happy. Um, I don't imagine that Abraham and Sarah were, were bad people to be around. And suddenly the whole thing had been derailed. I wonder if your life's ever done that. You've had a dream, you've had a plan, you've had a sense of where, uh, who you are and what you're about and where you're going, and suddenly circumstances have conspired that has thrown the whole thing up in the air. And I wonder wherever you're at tonight, if you're brave enough to ask yourself these two questions, to stop tonight and think, well, where have I come from that has brought me to Great Parks at 6 o'clock on a Sunday evening uh, in March 2022? Uh, uh, and what does the future hope for you? Obviously, we don't know exactly, but do you, do you have a sense of where you are and who you are? where you are going. I, I wonder if you're brave enough this week, you know, it's not telling me the answer, but would you sit down with the Lord and answer those two questions? Would you actually cut yourself some time out 
to stop and consider your life. What are you doing? Who are you? Why are you here? Where are you going? What's the point? What are you trying to achieve? Do you have a sense uh, of a course and of a plan um, within your life? The trouble is, you see, every 24 hours, another day slips away. I don't want to be, you know, depressed too much tonight here at Paynton, but um, that's the truth of the matter, isn't it? Do you know what the psalmist said in Psalm 19, verse 12? Teach us to number our days. That has stayed with me. I, I read that a couple of weeks ago and just been considering this life over a couple of weeks, and that verse came to my mind, you know, um, and it's really challenged me. Um, teach us to number our days. Uh, and whatever age person, wherever you may be on that spectrum tonight, and wherever you are in the faith, whether you're a new Christian or you've been following the Lord for, for decades, um, have you numbered your days? Have you a sense of the, where you're at, what God's doing in your life, and where you are going? Because I, I don't know about you, but time's enough to slip by quickly, doesn't it? Um, I've got a theory, so this is a slightly off being track now, um, but um, I've got a theory that doing weekly things, you know, if you do something once a week, it seems to come around very fast, and I do lots of weekly things at the minute in my job, um, and so I'm around to Sunday, and then stuff I do on Mondays, and so on through the week, and I, I keep thinking to myself, oh, Mike, you're back here again, and it's another week. <laughs> Anybody else with me in this? Yeah, time has go, doesn't it? And the Bible says, teach us to number our days. And actually, to number our years and our decades. I mean, what are we about? Where have we come from? Have you stopped and, and just thought about that recently? Where you've come from in your life, how God first maybe um, spoke to you. Your upbringing and your education and your experience of church as a, a young person maybe, or uh, whenever it was you came to faith. And, uh, uh, and do you ever stop and think about the dreams you used to have? of where God was leading you and what you... Because, because life has an awful way of taking over, doesn't it? And um, days tick away. And then the years tick away. And let me ask you this tonight. It, if you're not where you expected to be, is it because you're on a detour or a distraction? Um... <clears throat> You can maybe, again, this week, find time to sit still, undistracted for a while. You're allowed a tea or a coffee, if you like, and a bun, if you're good, okay? Uh, and you sit there quietly, and, and what you'll find is that your whole life is neatly dissected into two by that moment when you sit down with your coffee. You've got a past and you've got a future right there. So it's a very convenient moment to think about it. And, um, and you can stop and, and, and think about where you are. And figure out, do you have a feeling of being in God's will and plan for you where he wants you to be? Or, or do you have a sense that maybe you're distracted? That somewhere along the line things have gone wrong and you've got lost in your faith or lost in your service or lost in your, your vision of, of what God was doing with you, which has actually unsettled your identity. Like Hagar, who was meant to be a servant of Sarai, is now carrying a baby by Abraham and is sat on a roadside in the wilderness somewhere. Um, uh, 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 I'm wondering what's going on. But do bear in mind is that it might not be a distraction that puts you in a place that you hadn't reckoned on. It might also be a God-given um, a, a God detour. Because God does that. 
As you read through the Bible, this happens again and again and again. Just because your life's not all rosy at the minute doesn't mean that you've drifted out of God's will and ended up in the wrong place. Um, Because the real heroes of the Bible, as you read their stories, this happened again and again and again. The Josephs and the Jobs and the Davids and the Moses and and so on. All had periods. I mean, take David, for example. He, He was doing so well. He was anointed by God to be king of Israel. And he got himself a job in the palace playing music. He became a military hero. The people loved him. Um, If you like, he was halfway to the throne. And then Scripture specifically says the Lord sent him away. And he might have cried out, Lord, you've got me in the palace. People love me. I'm a military genius. I'm here beside Saul. Um, You know, once Saul moves on, I've only got to take a step like that and I'm on the throne. It's all going so well. And then the Lord said, and for years, he's like a flea in the wilderness being chased around by Saul. And he's gone. And, and, but it wasn't a distraction. It was a detour. It was God who sent him that way. And you could say the same for Joseph, who had dreams of his future and knew specifically what God, the type of love God was calling him to. And then he ends up as a slave and then in a prison before ever he gets to a throne. And it's good for us just to be able to stop and think, am I just a rudderless ship that's been caught in life's storms uh, of circumstances and blown off course, distracted by stuff going on around me and I've lost my way? Or am I on a God-given detour where he has things to teach me and he's led me and he's put me here for a season where he will teach me? Uh, and build my character and build my faith and get me ready for the next step of life. And so God comes to Hagar and um, he meets her in that place and he says to her, right, it's time to go back. This is what I'm going to do. This is who you are. This is the purpose I have for you. And somewhere in this conversation, she realizes that it is the Lord that she's speaking to. What? A moment that must have been for her. And we, we, we must mention verse 13 and 14. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. There is a refugee on the roadside. Struggling to answer the questions in where she's come from and where she's going and what life's about, she suddenly has this epiphany, this moment where she realizes the Lord sees her. The Lord knows. The Lord cares. The Lord has come to you, to her. When life and circumstances and relationships crash and everything seems to go wrong, Hagar suddenly realizes there is a faithful one who watches over her. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. There is one who doesn't sleep who sees, who knows, who watches over. I mean, for, again, if you want homework, read Psalm 139. Where can I go from your presence? 
Before I, I say a word, you know it on my tongue. There is one who watches and one who sees. How comforting that is, isn't it, for our brothers and sisters in Moldova and the Ukraine and uh, all those who are refugees at the moment. Oh, what a mess the world's in, isn't it? What a state so many lives are in. And yet there is a God who sees. And beside that, as we turn over to Genesis 20, and again, um, dodging past the story, we've had that read to us, um, but just coming into the middle of this story, we find once again Hagar, for the second time now, a refugee. The water skin is empty, and in verse 15, she puts the boy under one of the bushes, and she went off and sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. And then scripture says this, in this terrible, heart-wrenching scene of a, a boy, maybe 16 or so years old, dying, literally dying of thirst, lying there, and a mum too broken-hearted to sit with him, just moves a, a few yards away and cries as his life, as far as she can tell, is about to come to an end. And scripture simply says in five words, God heard the boy crying. God heard. God heard. I lost myself there now. Come on. Uh, and later those words are repeated back um, as again Hagar is spoken to. Uh, what's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. The other day I was talking uh, something about creation at our own church and the wonders of the universe. Um, uh, the the hu literally hundreds of billions of galaxies that exist out there. Um, I, I just heard somebody, um, well, it's Tim Keller, I think, used a, a, a picture I hadn't heard before, where he said that um, if, if Northern America was the size of our galaxy, our solar system would be the size of a coffee cup. And I mean, Earth is pretty small in, in terms of our solar system. And I'm sorry, Paynton's really small in terms of Earth, you know. So we're getting down to pretty small, but at times it comes to great parks tonight. This is a universe-creating God, a galaxy-sustaining God. And Scripture says he hears a child cry. Not only is the God who sees, he's the God who hears. And he heard the sobs of that little boy that day. It doesn't answer everything for us about suffering. Um, we can give, as people ask us, something of scripture and, and what it has to say about the subject. We can't answer it all. I'm sure you, like me, in your homes have, uh, and maybe your friends or colleagues have been sharing stories of what you've heard on the news recently. My wife, Vicky, said to me the other day that she saw a mum who'd given birth just a couple of days ago and then had no food to eat. She'd been cut off uh, uh, in, in the Ukraine, she, she was just stuck somewhere with no food, and with no food, there was no milk, and like Hagar, she was just waiting for the baby to die. God knows. Honestly, I don't know if he intervened. 
I don't know if there was a miracle. I don't know if somebody got to her. Um, I don't know if that baby survived. I know not all babies, not all children survive. I'm not here with glib answers about it all. But I am certainly encouraged that God hears the cries of a child. And God knows. He heard and that boy's cry. He saw the tears. Out of interest, do any of you know why our eyes water when we're emotional? Why does water start running down our cheeks? Well, if you don't know, you're not alone. Um, scientists don't really know either. I know we react, you know, to certain things. You know, if you get something in your eye, your eye waters to clean it, doesn't it? Or like if you're cutting up onions, um, then that can make your eyes start to stream. Mine stream, so I stay out of the kitchen. The onions are just too dangerous. I don't risk it. And... Um, so, you know, our eyes do react to chemicals or something like that and start to, to wash themselves and look after themselves and lubricate themselves. But as to why it is, water starts to run out of our eyes when we're laughing or um, crying or happy or sad or whatever, um, we don't really know um, what it is that causes tears. And scientists haven't really got an answer to that. Um, those who aren't Christians who just talk about, you know, what evolution does really get stuck because, I mean, if you're, you're hurt or need to get away or frightened, the last thing you do need is blurry vision, isn't it? There's tears in your eyes. You need, you know, if you've got a lion after you, you need to be able to see where you're going, you know? And um, so it doesn't really work from that point of view. But what, but what can you say from a Christian point of view? What is it about tears? I know with my kids, you must, you know, as dads, you sort of get a bit immune when they're just putting put a bit of a cry, don't you? But I remember when mine were little and they'd hit a moment where a real tear came out and ran down and that, I thought, oh, it's real tears. And then I'd be a bit softer. Um, you know, there's something about it, isn't there? Where, when people cry, there's genuineness in that emotion. And it seems a God-given thing to help us to connect with people uh, and you know what Psalm 56 verse 8 says? And isn't this a verse for a refugee? You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? God collects our tears. God knows. God hears when we cry. And amazingly, as we thought in communion, of Jesus entering into suffering with us, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Not only does God see us cry and hear us cry, but he's joined us. He knows what it is to cry as well. What a God we have. And when this little lad is lying there, his mum just waiting for him to pass away, God hears. But not only do we have a God in the midst of suffering who hears, but one who comes with a message of hope, and to Hagar this day, he brings a message that says, Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. There is a message that comes that says, Look, in this situation, in these circumstances, I can bring hope. And that is something that we find only really in God. In the midst of it all, there is hope, and we've even heard of that tonight as Asher shared with us something moved over and, and what's happening there. And in the darkness of it all, there is light, there is hope. God's church, God's people are at work. The gospel is being spread, and people are hearing of the Savior. 
Now, there's not always an immediate answer and an immediate hope to every situation. There's not always the snap of God's fingers, which means everything changes in an instance. Sometimes there is a struggle, but there is an ultimate hope. Um, there's an unusual psalm, um, Psalm 73, and it's written by a guy called Asaph. And actually, I'm going to turn to it, and then I won't misquote it. And it begins... Um, Ah, here somewhere, there it is. Um, begins like this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Pretty good start, isn't it, for a psalm? But then he says this. As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So there's a man of faith, Asaph, and he says, look, I... I I've got this faith in God, but I nearly slipped. I'm nearly gone. Because I, I was going along okay, and then I saw these wicked people and these arrogant people, and they're powerful and they're rich and they're having fun, and I'm struggling, and I'm wondering what's going on. Because this is God who's going to look after me, and somehow they're having all the fun, they're getting all the wealth, they're making all the rules, and the rest of us are struggling. What's going on? And it hit him so hard that he said, my faith had almost gone. My feet had almost slipped. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. And so he goes, oh, what's going on? And as he struggled with that, he says in verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors, and then jumping down, yeah, yeah, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with counsel. Afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. So to a man who was really struggling with the concept of the Putins in this world, their billionaire friends who call the shots and have the riches and cause others to suffer, suddenly he remembers before his faith gives way and he slips, he suddenly remembers, I know my destiny. I know my God, he is with me, he will be with me. There is nothing in earth I desire but him, and one day I'll be with him forever, and the wicked will be slept, swept away. Friends, if you're a Christian tonight, we believe to the kingdom that holds the hope of this world. Right now, in the midst of it all, this is where the kingdom is. This is where the hope is. This is where the light is. As Psalm 30 says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. This is the Christian pattern. We have the cross on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday. We have the night followed by day. We have sorrows followed by joy. We have earth followed by heaven. It is a message of hope. And in this world, I, I just get the feeling at the moment that our leaders are struggling, you know, to know what to say anymore. Uh, and their big budgets have helped them through various things. But my goodness, what do you do now? 
You know, we've had the financial crash, then we had Brexit, then we're tearing our country apart, and then we had um, a pandemic, and now we've got a war. And I think they're struggling. It is the kingdom of God that holds out hope in this world. It is the kingdom of God that brings a message that says, ultimately, whatever happens now, joy will come in the morning. There is a hope in God. There are, of course, lovely verses um, around that. Oh, let's do it once. Lovely benediction prayer that Paul writes in Romans 15. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. May you this week abound in hope. May you know the reality of it in this world. May the news not pull you down. May you say with Asaph, I know the, the end. I know what's going to happen. What, however bumpy the ride is, and this day will come when God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Let's see the big picture. Let's make sure that our foot doesn't slip that we know God's plan is unstoppable. And let me finish with this then. Um, and we'll, we'll just round off the story here. It says it's back in Genesis 21 now, verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Did God intervene now with a mighty miracle to save um, Ishmael? Did God suddenly magically rehydrate his body so that he was okay? Did he suddenly put a glass of lemonade with some ice cubes and a slice of lemon, you know, in his hand? No, he didn't do any of that, did he? There was no miracle. Do you know what he did do? He simply opened Hagar's eyes. And she saw what was there that she could use that day in that situation. He, he, he just opened her eyes to the fact that there was a well there and she took her empty skin and filled it and gave the boy a drink. When I read that, it reminded me of another story which I then realized was the next chapter of the Bible. Um, you know, the one with Abraham and Isaac and he's going um, uh, to sacrifice Isaac and God, of course, intervenes says, don't harm the boy. And then it says, Abraham looked up. Uh, and there in the thicket, you saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And sometimes, friends, that provision is already there. We've just got to open our eyes. We've just got to see what God has already provided and get on with using it. And that comes for, for the cross. If any of you are struggling with guilt... If any of you are wondering what you have to do to, to be forgiven, if any of you are trying to work towards your salvation, know today that all you actually have to do is look and believe. The Lamb of God has already been provided. And it reminded me as well, you know, the Lord was sat by a woman at a well one day and he, he chatted to her for a while and then his disciples came back and... Uh, and the Lord said to them as they started to talk, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. Are they not white to the harvest? Open your eyes. See what's around you. 
the people around you that need Christ. And what God has provided so that you can help people. For Hagar that day, it was simply a question of opening her eyes and realizing there was water there. I mean, what a simple thing to do, but it it was life-saving. And beautifully, it says, um, lift the boy up and take him by the hand. It's a simple first step, isn't it? Lift him up, take him by the hand, give him a drink of water. Sometimes, that's as much as we need to do. We have a church uh, with a history through centuries of doing that, of people seeing a need, seeing what God has provided and putting the two together. That's the history of so many charities, of so many amazing individuals. Can I just encourage you this week, spend some time with the Lord and ask him to open your eyes, just so that you can see what's there already, what it is that you can do to provide for somebody else who's in need, to give a glass of water in his name, to help you be part of the answer to the suffering in this world today. Be Jesus' hands, be Jesus' feet, be Jesus' mouth. Maybe you just put out a hand and lift somebody up. Maybe you say a word, a word of encouragement to somebody this week to lift them up. And that's just the next step. Ishmael went on to lead quite a life and his descendants are still with us today in the Arab nation. Um, Incredible what God did through um, Hagar's son. But the first step, lift him up, give him a drink. It's the sort of first step we can all cope with, isn't it? answer to this world and all that is happening. We do have a God who hears in the midst of it all. Don't be depressed when you watch the news at 10 tonight. And we have a message of hope to bring to this world that goes beyond the suffering and the immediate political and economic answers. And we can be the help with God's help, with God opening our eyes to speak into this world today. So thank you for letting me share that with you. May the Lord richly bless you. Ash back to you.